Hello everybody, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, a little bit of a difference with last week's instalment, uh, the receipts episode. Um, if you haven't already checked that out, please do if you'd like to hear some of the, the hot takes from episodes 1 to 50 on the Scouted Football Podcast. Today though, we're back to usual. Uh, myself, Joe Donahue, being joined by a guest with a particular area of expertise telling that story uh, as expertly as possible. Um, I very much hope you'll enjoy this one, uh, and certainly as much as, as I did do my homework for it, um, because it seems strange to say it after the build-up and the scandal, the controversy that, that has surrounded it, um, but the 2022 World Cup in Qatar is, is next year, which sounds very strange to say. Um, we expect plenty to, to happen in the interim, uh, and if the last 18 months is anything to go by, there'll, there'll certainly be a few breakout names making their debut at uh, a World Cup Finals. Um, there is also the possibility that in amongst those 32 nations qualifying for the tournament, um, there will be some finals debutants as well, uh, alongside Qatar, of course. Joining me on uh, today's podcast is Ben Bochak, uh, co-founder of First Time Finish uh, and something of a, an expert in, in various areas of, of niche football knowledge. Um, ben has written numerous pieces, fantastic pieces on uh, the coaching structure within places such as Mali, uh, as well as specific academies uh, and their players with links to, to other parts of the world. Um, he's something of a dab hand at, at telling um, telling stories of, of, of up and coming players. So there, naturally, there was a lot of crossover with, with scouted football. So uh, I'm very glad to, to to welcome Ben to the to the podcast. How are you? How are you doing? I'm I'm doing good, thank you. How about you? It's it's great to be on. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's no, it's good to have you on. Um, I'd, I mean, just having um had, had had a brief discussion with you beforehand. Um, you know, it was clear to me that you know this is these are the type of stories that that we want to be telling on on the scouted podcast and. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I've just given you sort of a, a brief little introduction there. But um, for, for anybody who isn't familiar with First Time Finish, um, what, what, how did that come about and sort of what is it? What have you done with it? So we launched in September of last year and uh, we wanted to do something special because take, for example, an Erling Haaland, you can find 10, 20 articles on his story and his journey and uh, on the internet already. And when we, what we wanted to do is, if we're going to write about Erling Haaland, we're going to reach out to the scout who discovered him and find out about the time he scored from the halfway line in his first international game for Norway. And we're going to write about how three top six English Premier League clubs rejected him at the age of 16 because he was a target man. And... Yeah, that's what we want to do. We've covered about 25 players or done interviews with people who are close to those players from Alfonso Davies, Jadon Sancho. Uh, the list just goes on and on. Uh, Pats and Dakar. Yeah, I was going to say that I was waiting for Dakar's name to come up there because, um, as you mentioned just before we started recording, you know, Patson has uh, has has your interview pinned on his profile. Um, sort of, uh, I think that's the best the best way of saying, you know, this is the most accurate accurate way that that my story has been told. So um, clearly, you know, having uh, the player himself endorse your work is isn't exactly a bad way to go. Um, 
with in terms of today's episode, um, that we're, we're obviously going to take a focus on on Mali uh, because uh, you've written, uh, I think it's three or four pieces at least that I've read um, about uh, Mali's sort of search for supremacy in African football and, and how they may be able to qualify for the 2022 World Cup for the first time in their history. And I think what we're going to do today is sort of go go all the way back, sort of six seven years. Um, to, to see sort of the building blocks that have been in place uh, to, to, to sort of facilitate that, to, to get them to this position where, you know, there are, there are Malian players in the Premier League, in, in leagues all across Europe, which is, I think, one of the things that I'd really like to discuss. Um, but just beginning, um, you know, you've done, you've done various interviews with people who are, who are very high up in, in sort of the different academy structures in Mali, the Ivory Coast, and that sort of thing. Um, there's one... Academy in particular that you you made reference to in sort of your your, your plan to me and and that was the JMG Academy um, and I mean I did my sort of did my homework on that did my research but I didn't really find anything that was as in depth as sort of your piece um, I mean for, uh, essentially what is the JMG Academy what does it do where is it and and how did you sort of get the um, the insider access uh, so the insider access was quite easy we just reached out to the club via email and. Uh... We got a few phone numbers, um, and uh, I guess JMG is kind of unparalleled in Africa. You don't—they're uh, the best academy there is, and uh, their track record shows that it was founded by Jean-Marc Gilou, who was a French professional, and he played over 500 games uh, of top-flight football in France during the 70s and 80s. He did a bit of coaching at. Um, in the early 80s in France, but he was kind of disillusioned with the way the academy system was in France at that time. Uh, he saw that there was a lot of physical uh, work being done, but not that many technical uh, stuff uh, in like the academies. And he wanted to find um, a place where he can uh, sort of implement his, his philosophy and his ideas. And I think he saw Africa as, a, as an opportunity to find some uh, talent who weren't being discovered, who weren't getting those opportunities. And uh, Africa, you know, in, in Europe, the structure of academies is very rigid, whereas in Africa, you don't, you didn't really have that at the time. So he also saw it as sort of um, a platform to ex- establish um, all his ideas. And that's how he began. He went to the Ivory Coast. He started uh, in Abidjan and he built an academy there uh, and he named it the JMG Academy. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's an interesting an interesting story, of course. Uh, and <laughs> very funny that, you know, Insider Access was simply just asking around the, for a few phone numbers at the club, which I suppose is the simplest way to go about it. Um, but you, you mentioned that sort of going all the way back to the, the, the time when he was sort of operating in Ivory Coast, um, you know, there's, I think the vast majority of people who may have, you know, taken a keen eye on on maybe the African Cup of Nations in the 2000s or early 2010s. You know, you've got the likes of Colo and Yaya Toure, uh, Jovino, Solomon Kalou, Didier Drogba. You know, there, there are a lot of, you know, prestigious Ivorian players who've, who've left their mark on, on European football, particularly English football. Um, I mean, w- were there any of those players that had their grounding in, in well, with Jean-Marc Guilou? Absolutely. I mean, 
pretty much all the high-profile players, apart from Didier Drogba, uh, started in his academy uh, and was discovered by Jean-Marc Gilou. Um Yaya Torre, Colo Torre, Jovino, Emmanuel Abue, Salomon Kalou. I mean, uh, the list is incredible considering um, that golden generation and how many of them were um, learned their trade in JMG and uh, ASAC Mimosas, which was an Ivorian club that JMG developed close relations with. Yeah, so I mean, having those relation, having that relationship with the uh, with with the club set up there uh, has obviously helped them gain gain a foothold in Europe. And one of the things that I wanted to discuss about Malian players, which we'll get on to shortly, um, was uh, that you know just sort of looking around, there were see, there seemed to be Malian players absolutely everywhere. They're just scattered across European football, and I think that that mirrors the uh, certainly the route that, that Yaya Toure took into Europe with, you know, uh, spells at Beverin in Belgium, you know, Olympiakos, I think he was at Metalurg Donetsk in Ukraine. You know, there was, it wasn't exactly a conventional route before he eventually turned up at Barcelona and then Manchester City. You know, there was, there was a long road to, to success, so to speak, and I think, you know, it's, there are obviously barriers and there are obviously reservations that that clubs in Europe certainly have sometimes you know taking a gamble on a player from an from an African academy um, and that's certainly something that that I found uh, to be the case when speaking to Ed Ahrens uh, the um, the deputy editor at Guardian Sport who sort of specializes in in African football as well um, he was you know he not speaking about Mali or Ivory Coast he was referring to to uh, Senegal uh, and was sort of uh, speaking about uh, Generation Foot, that the, that academy there, um, he was saying that you know players like Sadio Mane, um, Ismail Assar, getting that foothold into Europe is obviously the, f- the most difficult step. Um, but then obviously consolidating it, um, finding a pathway, you know, maybe not just getting that one-year contract where you have a very limited time to settle in and also convince um, that you're you're good enough. Um, it's 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 I can imagine it's quite stressful. It's quite probably h- quite high pressure. You know, is there anything that that prepares these players? I mean, from a JMG uh, academy perspective, for that step into into professional football. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, um, JMG have very strong links now. You know, they've they've been around forever since 1994, so um, they have very strong links with European clubs and and their track record as well. I think definitely for JMG players, it's probably easier to get a move to Europe than, than for example, someone like Generation Foot. Uh, but, I mean, the academy structure is is very unique. Um, so they train twice a day, um, which definitely prepares you for a professional environment. From uh, And that's from the age of about 10. Uh, you train twice a day. Uh, they, they live away from home. Uh, they're, they're only allowed to see their family and friends on the weekends. Uh, they live in uh, sort of communal uh, places and they live together with the coaches. So it's a very sort of family um, atmosphere that you have at JMG. And uh, uh, one of the things that's very important about JMG is uh, the level of coaching that the players get. Uh, I recently spoke to someone uh, within African football who was in the Ivory Coast before JMG left. And he told me, you know, um, he's visited the facilities since JMG left and the facilities are incredible, uh, but the level of coaching is 
nowhere near the level that it was when Jean-Marc Gallou was there. And uh, I think you can see that in uh, the Ivorian players that are coming through now compared to the generation that JMG had. Um, it's it, Sadly, it's, it's, it's not the same calibre of players that are coming through uh, the academy system in the Ivory Coast. But in a, on the bright side, it is uh, Mali's gain that they've set up their home base in Bamako now. Yeah, and that's sort of us getting onto the the the, the real meat on on this podcast because you know Mali is sort of the the rough topic. Um, and you know you you say there that they're they're obviously set up in Bamako, um, which is the capital city of Mali. Uh, and I think it's clear to see that you know the 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 the, the dividends of um of Jean Marc Guillou's academy system is is paying paying off for Mali. Um, you know they they've they've got a number of you know big internationals in in major European leagues. I mean, you only need to look at the likes of, you know, Diadi Samaseku in the Bundesliga, um, Seku Koita, who's who's doing very well at Red Bull Salzburg. But then, of course, uh, Musa Gineppo at uh, Southampton, um, Yves Besuma at uh, at Brighton. You know, there are, there are some, some really prestigious players um, who already at sort of 24, 25, and even younger, have... have have attracted plenty of interest uh, and and you know reasonable transfer fees. Um, you know, do you, are there any particular European clubs that have links? Because going through, you know, I, I, I saw there were quite a few Malian players at Scandinavian clubs. You know, Scandinavia always does seem to be a good landing point for um for, for African players. You know, even going back to the days of John Obi Mikel coming through at Lin Oslo. Um, you know, is is there is there a particular particular pathway that is particularly fruitful for for Malian players or, or, or JMG players? Uh, I mean, Salzburg has to be uh, the first mm. one. Uh, you, you've had um, Samaseku, Haidara, Kamara, uh, or JMG players coming through and obviously the most recent arrivals uh, as well. Um, and uh, Salzburg have very strong links, but there's links in France, um, a couple of players, Basuma in particular, started in Lille. Um, at the time, Yusuf Kone and Adama Traore, not not the Wolves player, but the other oh, one. The other one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they went to um, Lille uh, in, uh, I think, 2014, if I'm correct, or maybe 13. Uh, and then you had Salam Jidou, who went to Monaco. And uh, right now, Habib Keita is... Uh, He's an 18-year-old. He interestingly had a trial at Salzburg with the three players who've just moved to Salzburg. He moved to Lyon uh, last summer. And um, he's, a, he's an exciting player as well. I think he won player of the tournament at, in the trial period that he was there. That there's a called the Bambo Cup. Uh, and he won the player of the tournament there, playing for Salzburg then. And now he's on a move to Lyon, and uh, I'm excited to see his progress and uh, all the free Salzburg players as well, because they have a clear pathway in in Salzburg. Um, they also have a lot of um, Malian players there already, uh, not just from JMG, but Seku Koita and uh, Mamadou Sangari, who's at Leifring at the moment, um, and. Um, when I was speaking to Mamadouvad, who's the administrator of JMG, he was uh, very excited about the prospect of all of them moving to Europe as well. And he's very excited about their futures. 
Yeah, I, I feel like we always come back to to Red Bull Salzburg on this podcast, and especially when we're when we're talking about African players and and sort of scouting in in the far far corners of perhaps the underappreciated areas, um, and that's simply because they just it, they they are so good at it. Um, you know, they've they've managed to identify you know scores and scores of players. Um, you know, we'll we'll probably talk about Pats and Daka and, and Enoch and Wepu briefly uh, towards the end of this. But you know, before that, you know, you, you'd have to say that there were very very few Zambian players that were sort of on the world scene. But you know, now there's there's been Premier League clubs linked with him. There's been Bundesliga clubs linked with Daka. You know, there's there's a real there's a real changing of the times. I think in that sense. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned the the Wambo Cup, uh, which is by far the best cup competition I've, I've ever heard of. Um, but you you brought it to my attention that uh, that in two thousand and nineteen, um, I believe Salzburg won that competition, uh, and and there were seven JMG players involved. So I mean that shows that not only are they you know they, they are they plucking the best ones from JMG um, without really any competition. Uh, but they're they're bringing them to Salzburg and they're they're helping them integrate so well that I don't know they're they're still playing at a very good level they're developing into good footballers, um, which just seems like you know it, it seems like a fairy tale of uh, of a pathway you know to to into European football and while uh, I mean a lot of them won't end up you know a lot of them in Salzburg's under 19s uh in salt in uh, with FC Liefering a lot of them won't make it to sort of the same levels as the you know the Pats and Dakas or Enoch and Wepus or Mohamed Kamara's or you know um Sangare's in in the first team but they 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 will go on to have reasonable careers elsewhere and i think that's that's an important thing you know that that the academy structure at GMG it's not it shouldn't be judged on sort of the success of uh, its best and brightest players. It should be judged on the success of how many players it develops, and then allows them to go on to have good careers. Because you know, you look at an academy set up in 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 the UK or, or or France or Germany or Italy. You know, if 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 one particular club, one single club, you know, like like Chelsea for example. I know that's a, a very jumped up example, but. You know the the number of players that from a single age group have, who who have gone on and will go on to have sort of um, you know reasonable careers in the EFL or 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 elsewhere in Europe. You know that that's a reflection of how good the academy structure is because every player is going to respond to um, to coaching differently. Every every player is going to develop differently at different stages. So I think the the message that I don't know I I want to to impart from the JMG success is that. Yes, you know what? They're not perhaps producing, at least not yet, um, you know, uh, Ballon d'Or winners, but they're producing a real, real solid bed of talent um, from from effectively nothing from from the their coaching and their facilities. Is is that is the that's the foundation, um, which I think is something which which shouldn't shouldn't stop being commended ever essentially. But you know, going back to to, to Mali, uh, and obviously, you know, JMG set up in in that country has has benefited them massively. But how long have they been? How long has JMG been located in Mali since the switch from Ivory Coast? So it's it's actually quite recent. It's only two thousand and seven that the academy was established in Bamako, and I think, well, like you say, we brought up the structure, and I think the structure is very interesting and very unique. Uh, Jean-Marc Gillou has this philosophy where from the age of 10 until 14, 15, the players play with their bare foot. Um, and he 
he was asked he's been asked about this several times that like why that happens and he referenced uh, South America and the Brazilian players and his reasoning behind it is uh, as a young player you have to um, make the ball your best friend and you can grasp the ball better with your feet when it's when you don't have any boots and his reasoning is that in Brazil the, the reason why Brazil have brought so many talented players through over the years is because uh, those players start playing on, on the beaches on the streets with their bare foot and uh, that's a philosophy he, he wants to establish in uh, JMG even though you know they can afford to to buy the boots for the players uh, the players have to earn their boots and uh, a lot of the times actually the players play against uh, opposition who have boots who are wearing boots and um, you know, Galu and JMG focus very much on the technical side of the game. They like the tiki taka style of play, and uh, it's um, something like they they like to model their academy system on La Masia, Barcelona at Barcelona, and that that's a team they look up to and an academy structure that they look up to. And uh, when you're playing barefoot against players who are wearing boots you don't want to skill those players up. You don't want to have the close contact, the close touch. You want to get rid of the ball as quick as possible so you have as little contact as possible. And uh, that really encourages the players to have better distribution and uh, it kind of embeds them in that uh, tiki-taka style of play. And I think uh, that's an important foundation and it's something that's already... Uh, coming through at even international level, at senior level. I, I really encourage people to watch uh, Mali's goal against Angola in uh, their recent AFCON qualifier in 2019, where they strung together about 20, 30-odd passes before Amadou Haidara thumped the ball into the back of the net. And I think that's a great example of uh, Jean-Marc Guillou's influence coming through. Yeah, I was just looking at Jean-Marc Guillou's sort of background there, and and it's it's you know he's clearly had a huge huge impact on 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 African football, um, and it's interesting that uh, I, I saw that he he managed Beveren, um, which obviously was the club that sort of first gave uh, Yaya Toure his first steps into um, into European football, which shows that you know it's it's about the links, it's about the um, it's it's about being involved with these these academy setups, so. Yeah, it's certainly certainly very interesting. Um, the, the the point about um, playing barefoot, I mean, that is, it's unconventional to a T. You know, if you, if you if you're coming into an academy and then it's being you're being told right, get rid of those boots. Um, that's it. No, no, we're we're going to play against teams with boots, uh, with with just our bare feet. You know, that is probably going to, as you say, you know, you're not going to want to get into too many confrontations there, um, because you're just going to end up getting hurt. Um, so I think. By through tough love, I think is probably the best way to put it. You know, you're going to naturally develop good players technically, um, especially in that tiki taka style, as you as you were mentioning there. Um, and the reason I was asking about uh, how long uh, GMG has been has been in Bamako in Mali uh, was because you know one of the things that that, that I've been sort of familiar with from afar, but was sort of brought to my attention more specifically by you. Um, was Mali's performance in in youth tournaments, um, and I think sometimes they they, they go under the radar. Uh, the, the youth international tournaments, you know, the the under seventeen World Cups, the under twenty World Cups, the um, 
the under 17 and under 20 AFCON tournaments. Um, you know, and, and just going through the list here, you know, we've got uh, Mali finished third at the under 20 World Cup in 2015. Uh, and they had, you know, Adama Traore, not that one, the one who was briefly at Monaco, uh, and Diadi Samaseku in that team. Um, there was the, they finished runners up at the under 17 World Cup in 2015, which was a team which had a, uh, Seku Koita, who I believe was 15 at the time, uh, and Amadou Hadara, who's obviously made waves in European football. Um, they, they won that year in 2015. They won the under 17 African Cup of Nations. Um, Mamadou Fofana, uh, and Seku Koita in that. Um, then they, they won it again in two years later in, in 2017. Um, with Mohamed Kamara, who is at Red Bull Salzburg now, plays in midfield, and and Salam Jidu, as as you mentioned earlier, who we really liked at the um the under seventeen World Cup and was we really had high hopes for, um, and then they they won also won the under twenty African Cup of Nations in two thousand and nineteen. Again, Seku Koita taking part in that team, um, you know Bubu Conte, who's now at Salzburg. Uh, Amadou Dante at Sturm Graz, Lasana Andai at CSK Moscow, um, Usman Diakite, who's at Red Bull Salzburg as well, um, El Bilal Toure, who's at Stadrem. You know, there's so, so many players within these these youth international teams that um, that that have, have gone on to, to, you know, forge careers in Europe. Um, and it's... The, you know the, the the evidence is there for, for want of a better phrase. You know, over the past five or six, seven years, you know the the, the threat that Mali could leave a mark on African football, or at the very least, qualify for a senior World Cup. You know, is has been there because they've been impressive in youth tournaments. You know, what from from sort of doing your background and and perhaps you know watching them yourself. You know, what is the is is there an indelible mark of the JMG, JMG Academy? on the way that, that Mali's youth teams have played over that period? I mean, absolutely. You know, you, you see a lot of technical players in, in those teams. And uh, uh, what I learned from speaking to Mamadou is um, how a lot of academies um, like to model their structures nowadays in Mali on JMG. So you have uh, lots of, um, they, they've earned lots of inspiration from the success of JMG in Mali and uh there's a few academies uh, propping up now that are having not the same level of success as JMG, but are producing quality players. And that's that's where Seku Koita, El Bilal Tori, Musa Ginepo, who aren't who didn't come through JMG, but have still been uh, have still been able to come to Europe and forge careers. And uh, I think what I'm really impressed by in these Mali international squads is a lot of the times you have nations doing well in international competitions but then their star players kind of drop off I mean recently Ukraine won the under 20 world cup if I'm correct and yeah they didn't really have um, the same level of success those players uh, whereas with Mali all their key players like Haidara like Samaseku are playing at top level senior football at European clubs and I think that's really impressive that the way they've been able to uh, come through at senior level and uh, the integration and the step up to that it can be a challenge for some players but uh, for these Malian players uh, they've handled it well. 
So I, sp- I suppose looking ahead to um, to 2022 to next year, you know, the World Cup is obviously coming up. I think it will be it will be enormously successful if, um, well, sorry, Mali would be you know enormously successful if they were to qualify for that tournament. Um, they, uh, you know, based on the, the players that we've discussed before, the Hadaras, Samasekus, Genepos, Bisumas, um, Bilal Toure's, you know, the Ketseku Koita, Kamara, you know, there's so many. <laughs> I'm just rattling off names here that I've got on a sheet. Um, but, you know, there's, they've got a reasonable chance of qualifying for that tournament because, you know, they've got Rwanda, Kenya and Uganda in their uh, qualification group, um, which, you know, they're not exactly footballing powerhouses. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't say that you could, you know, off the top of your head, you couldn't exactly name uh, a, a, a one to eleven of the of those sides. Um, and, and you know, if they come through that group, if they win that group, they'll they'll face a, a, a qualification playoff. And then it's you know, it's down to sort of one or two games um, that, that are deciding sort of the future um, and and possibly you know the the, the most pivotal moment of um, of a country's football in history. You know. Is this the best chance that that they're going to have? And and I suppose is this you know a, a reflection of how influential um, the JMG Academy has been, and just the, the 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 raising of the floor of the coaching structure in Mali has been since JMG's arrival fifteen years ago. Um, twenty twenty two. I wouldn't say is the best chance. They have a good chance, depending on the draw, and like you said, the group is fairly easy. Uh, but I think twenty twenty six. If I'm correct, there's going to be, instead of five African teams qualifying for the tournament, it's going to be nine. Uh, and I think uh, with those extra teams, I think Mali have a really good chance to get to the 2026 tournament. They'll, you know, s- players like Basuma and uh, Samaseku, Haidara, Koita will all be at their prime. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you also have the younger players, like like I mentioned, uh, Habib Keita and... Uh, the three players who moved to Salzburg who are going to be kind of in their early 20s. And uh, so so they might also play an influence uh, in that team or in that squad. And I think that will be, if they don't qualify for that World Cup, uh, that will be a major disappointment uh, for Malian football because I think that's a huge opportunity. And uh, in theory... Uh, their best players or their key figures should be in their prime. I suppose it shows just how how difficult it is to, to sort of, or how long it takes to to actually impart you know e- excellent coaching and and a, and a structure like that on a country. You know, people may assume that you know five years may be enough to to help um, a, a country sort of raise their collective level. Um, but you know, as we're seeing, you know, GMG came in, and I'm not saying that GMG is 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 the the sole reason for for Mali sort of um, Im- improving uh, on the international scale. Um, but you know, for them to have come in in, in 2007, you know, for the, realistically, the first time that they've had a a great chance of qualifying for a major tournament or uh, sorry, the, a World Cup has been sort of 2022. Uh, and 2026 you know that's that's 15 20 years in the making that's a that's a generation worth of of players that have had to be nurtured to get to this stage um but we were just discussing earlier about um red bull salzburg of course uh and with red bull salzburg you know they i i, I, I was making the joke that you know when they do 
tend to recruit players from Africa, even if, you know, we haven't seen them or haven't seen them play or haven't haven't heard much about them from from sort of youth football circles, you can probably make a good a good bet that they're the best of the best, you know, because Salzburg scouting in Africa is 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 as good as it gets, essentially. Um and there were there were the three latest additions from Mali. Uh, and that was Mabadi Diambu, uh, Dao Guindo, and Nene Dogales. Um, I mean, I don't know what you've heard from sort of the likes of Mamadou Wad uh, on on these players, um, but what is you know I, I'm led to believe they came through Guidar FC um, in Mali, and then uh, they, they obviously they're now going to go to, to FC Liefering, the satellite club of, of Red Bull Salzburg, and they're going to play there. Um, you know what, what have you heard about? any of them if you know if not just the the the, the pathway so uh they're all jmg academy products but what jmg do is uh usually when the players get around 16 17 they they send them out to more sort of professional clubs at higher levels in mali and that's how gadars uh, came into play that that's where they played for the kind of sort of like their last sort of year of development before moving on to Salzburg just to get a more sort of a more a, a better feel for adult football and uh, I think they're all very talented you know like I said they done well at the Wambo under 19 cup uh, at 2019 cup sorry uh, they did very well there and seven of them were involved and um, I, I, what I've heard, uh, Nene Dogele is, is uh, meant to be a, quite an exciting player. He's a number 10. I've watched uh, a few clips. JMG usually release uh, sort of like highlight reels of all the players on their website. And uh, just, just from that highlight reel alone, he looks like a real prospect. And I can't wait to see him in Leafering, uh, all, all three of them really. And uh, also you have... Uh, Mamadou Sangare, who wasn't from JMG, but uh, was brought by Freddie Canute this summer to Salzburg as well. So Liefering potentially have four really exciting Mali internationals in their setup for this uh, second half of the season. And I think that's really exciting for Mali and football in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I haven't had the chance to to look at um, any sort of clips of, of the three, um, not least Dogeles, um, who you know, by your accounts is, is, is going to be a very interesting player, but obviously they're getting that, that exposure to, to football very early. Um, it's interesting that you, it's interesting, but it makes sense uh, the way that you're saying, you know, JMG partner with these, these local clubs in Mali to give them that first team football before making that step, which I suppose is all part of the, um, the transitional process. Um, and you mentioned Freddie Canute there, which is, uh, I think it's, it's an interesting point um, because, um, you know, the, the role of agencies uh, and, and contacts is, is very important in getting players from Mali to Europe, for example. Um, and, and obviously, Freddie Canute, if for anybody who doesn't know, uh, he runs a 12 management who represents uh, a number of Salzburg players. Uh, Pat Sindaka is one. Uh, he also represents Southampton's Musa Ginepo. Uh, and there are quite a few Malian players in that list. Um, he is very closely aligned with um, sort of helping players get to to Europe, and I think you know the in terms of the 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 role of player agencies, 
you know, from your experience, Ben, of of, of seeing you know, JMG players head to Europe, you know, is what is how important have agencies like Twelve Management and and figures, you know, of of prestige in Malian football like Freddie Canute, you know, how have, how how important have have they been to to getting you know pl- these young players their starts essentially? I think Freddie Canute in particular is a very important figure in uh, African, not just Malian football. Uh, but African football in general. I'm, in total, he's bought um, like Seku Koita, Musa Ginepo, uh, Usman Diakite, Yuba Diara, and now Mamadou Sangare to Europe uh, from Mali. But then he's also done great work elsewhere in Africa. Um, Pat Sindako is his client, Enoch Mbepu and Francisco Mbepu as well. They're both at uh, in Austria one at Salzburg and the other one at a top level, a top tier Austrian club. I can't quite remember the name, uh, but yeah, they're both, um, they're, they're all from Zambia and uh, he's he's been a really important influence and he's really passionate about bringing African talent uh, to Europe. And I think he's a very important sort of figurehead as well. Like he's to have someone of his, uh, caliber uh, guiding these players, I think, is is important. You know, he's an, uh, he's, I think he's won uh, African Player of the Year in the past. He's played at the top level for decades in the Premier League and La Liga, and to have someone like him guiding their careers is important. Uh, I know he's been very influential uh, in Pat Sendaka's career so far, and. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's an excellent figure to have uh, for any player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with Freddie Canute anyway, um, and you know, there's there's Seydou Keita as well, who's obviously a big um, a big Malian presence. You know, probably one of the most famous. You know, having played for for Barcelona as well, and you know, to to say that you know they are probably the two only two you know, high, very high profile Malian players that they have been in the history of the, the country's footballing um, sphere, you know, to say that, you know, in, in future there could potentially be the Musa Gineppo, um Yves Bissouma, you know, for example, we've seen speculation around Yves Bissouma getting a move to Arsenal, for example, you know, I, I don't know how much credence there is to it, but, you know, if, if Bissouma played for Arsenal, that's a massive, massive um, status move for, for a player from, from Mali, you know, a JMG player, of course. Um, but just go, look, looking through sort of the the list of of Malian players abroad, you know, you've got Gineppo and Basuma in the Premier League. Um, you have Yusuf Kone, obviously, at, at Elche in uh, La Liga at the moment. Um, uh, Diadi Samaseku, Amadou Hadara in, in the Bundesliga, Almami Toure there, of course, as well. Um, you know, a lot, and, and I mean a lot of players in France, which obviously makes sense that the pathway to France is a lot easier to, to manage because the language is obviously the same. Um, and and clubs are you know clubs are more willing to take uh, the African players traditionally in in France, um, and then you know you scroll a further a, bit, a little bit further down um, and you get to see you know Belgium have got quite a few, but it's Austria it really is Austria who have sort of the most uh, outside of sort of the big European leagues um, and and a lot of those are at Salzburg. Um, there's, there's, um, Dante at, at Sturm Graz, as I, as I mentioned earlier, but Sekou Koita, Mohamed Kamara, um, Usman Diakite, Yuba Diara, all at Salzburg. And then 
at Liefering, who, you know, obviously are an offshoot of Salzburg. You've got Sangare, Guindo, Diambu, and Dogeles. You know, there's, I think, just, you know, on a, as an aside, to have eight players from the same country, a lot of them from exactly the same academy setup, you know, that is, it's either a huge gamble or these players genuinely do have something uh, about them. And that's a reflection of how successful the academy has been, how successful the pathway has been, how it's been established by the likes of 12 management, Freddie Canute, of course. And it's just, I don't know, it, 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 it's, it's a phenomenon, I think, that to, to have so many players from a certain country constantly making that, that move. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's definitely one to, to keep an eye on, keep an, a lookout for. But um, just just before we we sort of finish, you know, is, is there um, what what are your hopes for sort of and, and expectations? Are they um, are they any different uh, to to what I've been saying? You know, the with the the twenty twenty two World Cup. Do you think that it'll get through that group? Um, do you think that we might be seeing a Malian team at, at the World Cup for the first time in next year? I think it's a possibility. Uh, I I agree. I I think uh, it's a very exciting time for Mali. Um, at the international level, like you said, Basuma could be moving to Arsenal. But I think recently Graham Potter said something about how he we have to enjoy the time that we have left with him. So he's definitely going to go to a big club soon. And uh, that's going to be an exciting move wherever he goes. He's a, I spoke to Mamadou Wad and he said he hasn't even reached like 60% of his potential. So... <laughs> Whichever team he goes to, uh, they're going to have a very good player. But then you also have Haidara, who, who was very good uh, for Salzburg in the Europa League when they reached the semi-finals. Yeah. And uh, he's had some injury problems, but he's come through that. And I think he's been one of uh, Leipzig's best players this season, performing in the Champions League. Uh, I mean, that goal against United was a sublime finish. And he's got a deadly deadly lethal shot on him uh which i think he modeled he I, I i saw an interview where he said he modeled that on steven gerrard so mm. that, that's an interesting one and then also someone like seku koita i think he's very underrated at salzburg you know a lot is uh talked about pat and and uh, he's always linked with uh, moves uh to bigger clubs but seku koita is a sublime talent and he's been excellent in the Champions League this season. And I think uh, only yesterday that there was a statistic about how he scored, uh, he has a better goal per minute ratio than Erling Haaland this season. Uh, so that's There's definitely that's, something uh, there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Erling Haaland had like scored, a, scored a goal every 62 minutes and Koita has scored a goal every 60 minutes minutes of uh uh like games he's played in the austrian bundesliga which is just incredible uh, yeah it's it's, it's it's a bit of a madness isn't it because you know everybody when when, when erling Haaland bro- broke through at salzburg you know everybody was sort of raving ranting and raving and i think that was partly because he was just this robotic huge six foot four um speed demon who just seemed to finish everything he touched into a goal 
But Koita is so much more than that, isn't he? You know, he's 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 capable of playing as a number ten. I believe when he joined Salzburg, you know, he was a number ten, but he's been sort of molded into this little cannonball of a striker um, whose link up is excellent. Um, his relationship with with Pats and Daka on the pitch has been very good. Um, and I think very much in the same way that Daka was sort of, you know, he was scoring very well when Haaland was there, but he was very much second fiddle to him. And then as soon as Haaland left, you know, Daka then sort of took up the mantle. Seku Koita is now filling, fulfilling that Daka role in that, you know, eventually when Daka moves on, which I think is, you know, I think we can all assume is, is an inevitability at some point, um, you know, Seku Koita could potentially fill that role. Um, I mean, not that there are a shortage of options um, at Salzburg, you know, to, to come through. There's um, there's uh, Karim Adeyemi as well, of course, um, and there's uh, Junior Adamu as well. Um, it's it, with Seku Koita. I just think you know, we when we saw him at the the it'll have been the Under Twenty World Cup uh, in 2019. You know, it was the first time that I'd really got the chance to watch him consistently because um, he'd been he'd been on loan at Wolfsburger in in Austria, as well as Liefering. Um, and he was, he, he just seemed like this, this player who, who had not, had nobody had discovered yet. Uh, and then obviously you find out that he's already owned by Red Bull Salzburg and you think, oh, I've missed the boat on this one. But um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a fantastic young player. And, uh, and I've got, I, I, I think I, I I can tell sort of where you're going with this, but you know, you, you've obviously got very high hopes for him. I, at scouted we do as well um and i'm sure that um i'm sure that in future we'll probably see some uh some seku koita things on first time finish if i'm not mistaken yeah i mean hopefully uh who knows uh, we've actually done carrie medi recently um that, that that you mentioned him uh we've done a story on him uh, uh we spoke to his uh club in germany before he moved to salzburg and the academy coaches that he worked with but yeah, back to Mali. I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, uh, I'm repeating myself now, but um, even I, I'm just really excited by that midfield as well. I think having Samaseku as the CDM and then Basuma and Haidara uh, as like that midfield three is just. I mean, you'll struggle to find a better midfield three in international football. I think, especially in Africa, I think it's unparalleled to have so so three such talented midfielders who also complement each other so well um and uh i think what i'm also sort of uh excited by is the prospect of uh some players of malian descent potentially converting to the national team you have diaby at leverkusen um, and a couple of others, um, I think Adama Traore, the, the, the Wolves player this time, mm. uh, well, there was talk of him potentially playing for the na- national team uh, in around October, November time. He was actually called up for both uh, national teams, uh, Spain and Mali. Uh, he decided to represent Spain, but there's a few others. Uh, Moussa Dembele at Lyon, he's, he's of Malian descent. So there's a few others who, you know, might not, be able to play for France, for example, but they could forge a good career at international international level in Mali. And I think if they do qualify for the World Cup, you'll see a few of them converting uh, to the Mali national team. And, and, and if that happens, I mean, the amount of talent and 
potential in that team is just going to increase even more. Yeah, that is an that's an interesting point that I hadn't considered actually. You know, if if Mali do end up qualifying for the World Cup, I think yeah, you might see a few uncapped French players, or rather, uncapped French players with Mali from Malian descent, um, or at least some those who don't have competitive appearances to their name. You know, maybe making that that switch of allegiance because you know playing at a World Cup is is you know that's a career defining moment for any player. So yeah, I think uh, I think that would be. Um, I'm I'm not sure how how I feel about that one piggybacking on on um other players' success to to get yourself a leg up into the World Cup, but hey, I think I, I'd just be happy to see Marley there to be honest. Um, and and I do th- for the record, I, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I think that based on the group that they have, um, I think they've got the potential to to do it. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 optimistic. I'm hopeful. Uh, and I'm certain I've certainly been um, been buoyed by what you've had to tell me, Ben. Um, but thank you very much um, for for coming on and, and taking the time to to join us today. And, and thank you very much to all of you for for tuning in to the Scouted Pod once again. Um, or if this is your very first time listening, I hope you've enjoyed. Um, we do try and tell uh, stories such as these uh, on a regular basis. Um, if if you do if you did enjoy this episode, do feel free to cycle back through each of the the previous episodes, um, many of which uh, are not exactly time sensitive, so they'll remain uh, in date for for lack of a, a better phrase. Um, but just before we we go, uh, Ben, would you like to sort of um, tell people a little bit more uh, about First Time Finish again, just if they want to check out um, your website uh, or check out some of the work that you do on on, on Twitter? Yeah, so so we're on. Twitter, it's first time finish. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, we don't just put uh, write about the inside stories of players, but we've also done sort of exposés of uh, national teams. So we talked to either uh, a journalist that's close to the national team or recently we spoke to the head coach of the Gambia national team. So uh, we've also done interviews. We interviewed Matthew Briggs, who was the youngest Premier League player. Uh, before Harvey Elliott and he has a very fascinating story about um, uh, a few years after he made his Premier League debut he was working on a construction site and uh, he kind of struggled with some mental stuff and uh, all these struggles after being released by Fulham and uh, now he's back on his way and playing in Denmark's uh, top flight so he has a we've we've done all these sort of cool interviews and we've spoke to clubs like Salzburg, um, their sporting director Christoph Freund, and uh, yeah, we've got more stuff coming up, more exciting stuff, uh, some interviews, some uh, analysis, and uh, yeah, if you're interested in sort of like niche football, I guess uh, I'm confident in saying that we're the place to go to. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, and and not, not just because I won't disclose who it is, but there is um, a scouted football handbook alumnus who is going to be interviewed um, on First Time Finish. Um, so definitely check that out for when it drops. Um, but yes, if you're into your, your scouting analysis, niche storytelling, um, and of course, up and coming players, uh, then the Scouted Football Podcast and of course, First Time Finish they are the resources that that you need um, but anyway join me next week for another episode uh, as we welcome back a special guest on the scouted football podcast in the meantime big thank you to, to ben for giving up his time on this one uh, but take care and bye for now